This podcast is brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. Thanks for listening. Okay, so really good for you to uh, be here this morning because I think Ecclesiastes 4 uh, is a great continuation of what we've been learning in Ecclesiastes. So once again, let's uh, go to God in prayer to ask Him to help us to understand His Word. So let's bow our heads in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, we truly want to ask you to help us to meditate, to reflect, to really dig deep into these deep and profound words of the teacher in the book of Ecclesiastes. And we pray that we may not just superficially read into them, but to really reflect on our own lives in the truths that he speaks. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, I went to uh, boarding school when I was uh, 13 years old, and uh, I had enough to eat. I think the bed was quite warm. I, I got extra blankets, and uh, I think I, I was okay at the studies. But one thing I found really difficult was uh, being lonely, right? having friends. I think all of us uh, want to have friends. All of us want to have companions. We don't like to be lonely. Anybody here you know, want to be lonely? We don't really want to be lonely. I think one of the saddest things that you read about in the Straits Times over the last few weeks is how, you know, you read about these old people who are living by themselves, or maybe they have dementia, their families have abandoned them, and maybe they die, and uh, no one knows them, mourns them, or cares for them. Because in a sense, no one really is an island. We all live in relationship, and we, we, we want to be loved, we want to love other people. So today we're going to consider the question of companionship. Because over the last few weeks, we've been looking at the book of Ecclesiastes, and the teacher's been trying to ask the question, whether there's anything substantial enough, whether there's anything big enough in life to make life worth living. And his answer is that it is meaningless. Right? So if you look up here on the slide, now remember, we looked at this word, havel. Uh, which is meaningless, meaningless, right? Everything is meaningless. It is vanity. And it is havel, it is meaningless, it is vanity, because at one hand, uh, the things of this world are very transitory, very ephemeral, very temporary. It just passes so quickly like steam, like a mist. And the same way, this word havel captures the idea of meaninglessness. It's like chasing after the wind. So as the teacher looks at the world under the sun, he observes, he experiences, he sees, he studies, and he can't find meaning. Something strong enough, tangible enough, permanent enough to live for. So over the last few chapters, from chapter 1 to 3, we've looked at the themes of work, uh, the themes of pleasure, the themes of wisdom. So today we're going to move on to this topic of companionship, friendship, maybe companionship and friendship are substantial enough for us to have meaning in this world. But before we get there, in verse 4 to 6, I'm not going to look at verse 1 to 4, because uh, you would have studied in your Bible studies, hopefully, if you're in a Bible study, and if you're not, you, you should get to a Bible study. But uh, we're not going to look at verse 1 to 3 sorry, today, but we're going to begin from verse 4 onwards. And he returns once again to this idea of work and achievement, before he gets to companionship, it kind of all flows together. So in verse 4, he said, Then I saw that all toil and all achievement spring 
from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Now, if you actually look at this passage, he's starting to look at work from a different angle. Uh, here, he actually looks at work itself, and he says that so much of work derives from negative motivation. Envy, jealousy, discontentment when we see other people getting ahead of us so that we want to be as good as, as them, or if not, even better than them. We want to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. So, when we look at work, it's not as if we are looking at work from a positive, noble motivation where, you know, we want to help others, we want to serve others, we want to make a difference in this world. But he actually says that as he looks in the world today, he sees that under the sun, people work because of envy and jealousy and rivalry. So I was reading this book today, I've got quite a lot of illustrations. So I was reading this book, and it was, a, it was an e-book which was recommended. I was listening to a, this guy was on Money FM, right? So anyway, it's okay. Pastors can listen to Money FM. And uh, he was uh, quoting, quoted in this book as I was, uh, when I read it, right? He, of, a, of a friend who was living in this beautiful apartment in New York. He's surrounded by his supportive friends and beautiful, happy family. He is successful. He is, uh, you know, he's got everything. But then he's not happy. Why? Because I thought... I'd have a bigger apartment by now. Right? So, in a sense, there is this discontentment. He is unable to enjoy what he already has because he feels that by now he should have got more. And I think that, uh, especially as uh, Singaporeans, we can identify with what the teacher is saying here. Because at the heart of being a kiasu is the fear of missing out, right? The, the FOMO uh, uh, a lifestyle, right? Where you feel that somewhere, someplace, somebody is actually more successful, enjoying life more than you are. So I remember meeting some uh, uh, some lawyers who came back from the UK, and you know, then they start comparing about, oh, you know, people, my classmates, when they came back, where are they now? And you know, invariably, there's always someone who is better than you, somebody who's come back at the same time, who is earning more, doing more achieving more in some way. Uh, I went to someone's uh, 50th birthday, because, you know, I also turned 50, right? And, you know, we, you know, people are always talking about, oh, you remember that classmate? Where is he now? What are they doing? What house do they live in? What holidays do they have? What cars do they drive? And this is, in a sense, what drives us to work, right? This is what drives us to achieve. Uh, if we're really honest with ourselves, a lot of it comes from comparing ourselves to others, so again, I remember many years ago, I read this book about uh, why zebras don't get ulcers, right? And apparently, zebras don't get ulcers. And they actually uh, made an interesting point where it said, it's not so much being poor that is the problem, it is feeling poor. So they did some studies, apparently, some uh, sociologists or somebody, and they did some studies and they found that you can actually have the same level of living, but if you are a rich person in a poor society, you will feel better about yourself, you will have less stress about yourself, your physical health will even be better than if you had the same level of uh, quality of life, but you were a poorer person in a rich society. So we are built in a way to be always comparing ourselves to other people. 
where we stand in the pecking block. Where are we compared to other people? So I remember many years ago as well, uh, you know, if you ever read this book by C.S. Lewis, The Screwtape Letters, there's one part where there's the junior devil and he's trying to tempt this holy saintly monk who's like, you know, all by himself in this desert cave. And the junior monk tries everything to tempt this, uh, the, sorry, the junior devil tries to tempt this senior monk in every way, you know, with lust, with money, with all sorts of temptations. But he can't tempt this monk who's living in the cave. So then the senior monk thinks about it for a while and says, okay, leave it to me. Right, leave it to me, I'll handle this monk. So he goes to the cave and then he whispers to the monk. And then after a while, the monk gets very unhappy and discontented and he leaves the cave to go to the city. And the junior devil said to the senior devil, what did you say to him? What did you, what did you do? You know, like, did you tempt him woman or money or something? What did you do? He says, I, I told him that his colleague, his rival, had just been appointed the bishop. And so then, within this monk, he was filled with envy and jealousy that his rival had been appointed bishop and now he had gone down to claim his position. So I think that if we are honest with ourselves, a lot of times our, our work, our toil, our achievement is not motivated out of a sense of altruism, but a sense of selfish envy and rivalry and jealousy. So then the, the teacher goes on in verse 5 and he says, Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful of tranquility than two handfuls of toil and chasing after the wind. Okay, now, so if you look at the passage, look carefully at the passage, the, the passage really deserves our full attention here. So it says here that the answer is not to then give up striving, to give up work and achievement. Because the other extreme is to fold your hand and to just do nothing. Just to chill and to be, you know, not working and, and, and not doing anything. To be lazy, so to speak. But he says, the teacher says, in his great wisdom as we've seen all along, that the fool lives this way. Uh, the folding of the hand, the sitting down and just doing nothing actually ruins themselves. Actually, this word here, ruins themselves, in verse 5, is a very interesting word. Literally, it means that you eat your own flesh. All right, so, I don't know if the ESV translates it that way, or the NASB translates it that way, but to ruin yourself is literally to eat one's flesh. You consume yourself. And that's true, because when you are lazy and you don't work, you eat of your own flesh, you, 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 you do not produce anything, you have no savings, so you end up consuming yourself because there's nothing else to consume. You know, it's a very vivid imagery. So the solution is not to work because of envy and jealousy and discontentment. Neither is it the solution to be lazy and to drop out of society and just you know, do nothing. But the solution in verse 6, he says, is better. Right? So, you know, we've been looking at this uh, book of Ecclesiastes for a while, and better is a relative term. So, under the sun, 
Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Now, let's look a bit more closely at what he's saying here. Basically, he's saying that one handful, which means that you have enough, so to speak, with peace, with tranquility, with contentment, is better than having two handfuls with toil. Now, we always say that understanding the text requires context, right? You need context, context, context. So the two handfuls of toil here speak of the person who keeps working and toiling and laboring and sweating and straining because they keep working and working to get more and more because their envy and discontentment and jealousy do not allow them to feel satisfied with what they already have. Right? It's like that sort of person who keeps working and working and working even though they have enough because they want to keep up with their friends or keep up with their perception that you know, there are other people out there who are more successful than they are. But better, he says, instead to have one handful with peace and contentment and tranquility. You know, it reminds me of um, this uh, book I read many years ago as well about how this guy went to a basketball game. <coughs> and he, you know, basketball uh, in America, the, the, the stadiums are huge. It's a bit like, have you ever been to a soccer game in Singapore at the, the soccer stadium? It's like, it's huge, right? Anyway, I remember going there to the soccer stadium. Anyway, this guy went to the, the football, sorry, the basketball game. And he had one of the cheap seats. Uh, I also had a cheap seat. And when you're the cheap seat, you're like, you feel like you're miles away from the pitch. Right? And he was complaining that instead of enjoying the basketball game, he kept looking at the people with the better seats and thinking to himself, why am I in this seat? Why am I not next to the court? Right? It's a bit like you know, when you go to a football game, you're still like, why am I way up here? Why am I not down there? Because you know the most expensive seats are like near the center line, near the, the pitch, right? And because of that, he couldn't enjoy himself. He, 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 he spent all this money to watch the basketball game. But he derived no enjoyment in the basketball game. All he felt was unhappiness that he had a lousy seat. And the same way for us, we can be like discontent and we're just toiling and toiling away, but we never reach satisfaction and peace. Right, uh, in the Bible study, they said there's this Chinese proverb, right? Yisan pi yisan kao. Okay, so you see, my Chinese is getting better. <laughs> and he, basically what he's saying is there will always be a, a taller mountain, right? That, 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 that is bigger than you. There's always someone who is more successful than you. There's always someone who is going to be better than you in your perception. And you will always be chasing that person. And it's meaningless. It's meaningless because you will never be able to find satisfaction that way. So, in the New Testament... Uh, this idea, I think, is developed in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6. So Paul tells Timothy, But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money 
is a root of all kinds of evil, some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, if we look at this passage carefully, I think that this actually develops the idea of what we read in Ecclesiastes. Because Ecclesiastes paints for us the picture under the sun. And it says, look, work and toil out of envy is havel. It is meaningless, right? Because in this world, all these things are passing away. But if you look at this passage, this desire of envy and greed as well has eternal consequences. Because the temptation, the trap, the plunging of foolish of men into ruin and destruction actually focus on the wandering from the faith. So as Christians, there is actually more at stake for us because not only is it meaningless to live in this way where we chase after two handfuls with toil and discontentment, but as we do so, we actually lose Jesus Christ and eternal life and salvation. That's why if you... Uh, let's click. Uh, okay, click it. That's why it says in verse 10, for right, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierce themselves with many griefs. So what is fundamentally in view here is the destructive nature of greed and envy and jealousy, which actually make you wander away from faith and into a trap, and into a temptation, so that you lose not just the enjoyment of life and contentment and tranquility in this life, but you lose eternal life forever and ever. Now, it's very sad because this is a true phenomena. Right? This is not some airy fairy theory that uh, you know uh, Timothy, sorry, that Paul is telling Timothy, or that uh, the book Ecclesiastes is talking about. But I've witnessed it myself, where there are Christians that I've known of who slowly give up their faith, stop going to church, very irregular in Bible study, and after a while, they have their fast cars and their big houses but they have lost their eternal life. And how tragic that is, right? That is, in a sense, meaningless. Right? It's a meaningless life. So the question, I think, as we come to the end of just this section is, are we making work and achievement uh, our idol? Right? Do we make our career like a, a little God? Are we constantly comparing ourselves to other people and making ourselves unhappy, and actually losing our focus on God Himself. Right? Because, especially in the day of uh, an age of uh, social media, right, it's very easy to be envious of other people. You know, like, people have this social media lifestyle, you think, how come they're eating at this Michelin-style uh, restaurant, right? and I'm eating this hawker food, right? Why are they living this life, you know, why are they going for holidays in this place? Why are they driving these cars? Why are they carrying these bags? Why are they living this career that I don't have? And it's easy for us to work and to toil for those two hands with, with discontentment and toil. But actually the passage tells us that what is really important is actually contentment with the one hand that we have. But even more importantly, to not wander from the faith. Now in verse 8, 
it goes on to um, talk about uh, this idea of toil and to link it with the idea of companionship. So the teacher is very good, as we've seen over the last few weeks. You know, he's, he doesn't just put things there randomly, right? So in verse 7, he goes on and he says, Again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all alone. He had neither son nor brother. There was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. For whom am I toiling, he asked. And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless, a miserable business. Now, if you look at this passage, the focus here is that this man is all alone. Right? He's all alone. And why is he all alone? He is neither sons nor brother, it says. So I think here the idea of a brother, okay, you can go to the next slide, is that he has no family, or at least no one who really cares for him, and he has no friends. I think the brother here is not, uh, you know, siblings, okay? It's, it's, it's not blood siblings, it's friends, right? You know, in Proverbs, a brother and a friend is born out of adversity. So, you know, he's got no friends, he doesn't seem to have a family, or maybe if he has a family, they don't seem to really be a family. And the reason why he's all alone, neither having friends or a family, is in verse 8b, because there was no end to his toil. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. Right, if you look very carefully at the passage, it seems to bring us back to the first person. He, this person is all alone because he is driven. He is driven by envy. His eyes are not satisfied, so he wants those two hands. He wants his hands full of his achievements. And what that actually leads him to is a life which the teacher says is meaningless. You see, it's like what it says there, uh, in uh, the second half of verse 8, right? Where it says, you notice there's a change in the person, from third person to first person. He asks himself, it's almost as if the teacher is making us look through his own eyes. For whom am I toiling? For why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? So at the end of life, he asks himself, why is he, why is he live life this way? So I remember this, uh, I read this in the newspaper many years ago. I couldn't find... Guy called uh, Jürgen Schremp, right? He was uh, the head of uh, or the CEO of Daimler Chrysler for ten years. And I remember reading a quote in the newspaper, and uh, you can look it up on Wikipedia because that's where I found the quote from. Um, but I remember he famously said that you know he'd been married for many years and he, he was getting a divorce, and he said that the reason why he was getting divorced was because he had to choose to focus either on his marriage or his family or his work. So he chose his work over his marriage. Well. This, in a sense, is like the picture of this man. You know, he's striving, or she's striving, a person is striving away, trying to fill their two hands full to achieve out of envy and out of discontentment. And as a result, they actually have no time for relationships, they have no time for family, they have no time for friends. But... The teacher says this is a meaningless way to live, right? Because 
at the end of it, he will ask us, so why am I living this way? Why am I toiling in this way? So again, in verse 9, the teacher finds something better. So remember, better in Ecclesiastes is a relative term. So the better way to live under the sun is this. Two are better than one, for they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. So here we see in verse 9 to 12 that uh, the teacher uses an analogy, an imagery of life as a journey. Right, so it's using a journey metaphor, so to speak. And he says, you know, the better way to live is two better than one. So you know, he's talking about companionship is better than all alone. The reason it says here is because they will have a good return on their labor. Now, what does it mean to have a good return on their labor? Well, I think that it can mean two ways, right? two elements of good return. One is that you're more productive because two can do more than one person can. You know, because two people um, are able to cover for each other's weaknesses. They have different gifts, they have different strengths, and they complement one another and they are able to do more. Right? It's like, you know, um, one person might be very strong in accounting, the other one is very strong in marketing, another person is very strong in, 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 in engineering, and everybody comes together, they can, they can build a business. But can one person have all those qualities in themselves? We're not sure. Right, so they have a better return, they're more productive. But this idea of a good return for their labor also is the sense of encouragement. Right? There's, a mutual, there's a mutual encouragement of enjoying fruit together. Because, you know, when people are all alone, there is the, the, the return is not so great. It's a bit like you know, playing golf by yourself and having a hole in one or, you know, like having dinner by yourself or watching a movie by yourself. What is the return in that? Right? It's like things are enjoyed in, in, together. But it goes on to say, right, that as he uses his journey metaphor, that if one falls down, the other one can help them up. Pity anyone who falls down but has no one to help them up. So again, he's saying if you have a person all alone, when they fall down, then there's no support, there's no mutual help. And we understand that in terms of a journey, right? So, you know, if you're going hiking up a mountain, you don't go alone, right? You go in a group of people. If you go scuba diving, you, know, you never go alone. You, you go with a pair or you go with other people. Because together, there is the ability to help one another. Then he goes on, the teacher, to say that you know, two can lie down and they will keep one, but how can one keep warm alone? Now, I don't think this is just talking about marriage. Right? Because it's a journey metaphor. And, and in the ancient world, when people went on journeys... 
they used to keep warm by sleeping together. Okay, so I, I was reading a book in the library about sleep uh, and about how up until very recently when, with the invention, invention of like heaters and everything, people, the whole family used to like all sleep in one room to keep warm. Like the, the, all the siblings, all the children, the wives and the husband all sleep together to keep warm together. So this is the picture here, right? It's a very familiar picture in the ancient world. When you have people, when you're all alone, you are cold. But when you're with other people, you keep warm. And in verse 12, it goes on even more. It says, when you have people, you are not overpowered. You can protect and defend yourself. And I think verse 3, the last part, verse 3c, is very uh, uh, important. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now, what it's saying here is that if two is good, then three is even better. And if, if not even three, more is better, right? So if three is strong, then four is stronger, five is even stronger, six is... You know, it's like if you have a big group of people, then there is strength in numbers. You protect yourself. So, you know, like if, you're, if you want to go to Johor, to go to Johor shopping, right? So I remember a friend of mine was saying about how they want to go to Johor. And um, they said, oh, who's going? They said, oh, just me and a friend, right? They said, oh, no, if there's only two people, we don't want to go. But, you know, if there are three or four people, yeah, we can all go to Johor to go shopping, right? Not that Johor is like super dangerous, even though sometimes it is. But, you know, it's like the idea where if you have a group of people, then you're less likely to be a victim of crime or someone hurting you. Because there are many, many people. There's a strength in the companionship. So I think as we look at this passage at its basic level, the teacher is saying, don't be all alone. Right? Value companionship. Better life under the sun with friends and companions uh, because there is a better return, there is mutual benefit, there is protection, there is warmth. Unfortunately, in the world that we live in, uh, we don't think this way, right? Because we live in, in, world, in a world where we are actually getting more and more uh, lonely. Right? I remember giving the, the illustration in the introduction. We, we live in, lonely, in a lonely world. We, we, more and more people are living by themselves. There are fewer, fewer people living in community and relationship. So I was reading this uh, quote about this book. I, I didn't actually read it, but um, there's a quote about it. But actually, even in America now, there are more people... See the title of the book? Bowling Alone. Right? I can't think of a more boring thing to do than to go bowling alone. But there are more people bowling alone. And they're bowling alone because they don't have friends to go bowling with. You know, it's like there's a breakdown of community, a breakdown of relationship. So, you know, what this passage is actually saying is, don't be all alone. Why strive out of envy and, and you put all your focus on achieving material things, but you're all alone, right? Companionship has value. Better to have friends, better to have family, better to have relationships in this world than give yourself to envy and discontentment and to work for these two hands. But I feel that in verse 13 to 16, the teacher actually, as we have seen in the book Ecclesiastes, gives us a warning, right? That there are limits to companionship. So I know when you look in your NIV Bibles, uh, there's a little title there which says, Advancement is Meaningless. Okay, you can get your pencil out. 
on your pen, you can cross that out, right? It's okay because actually it's not part of God's holy scripture. It's just what the NIV people put there. I don't think it's in the NSV or ESV. Because it doesn't really, I, I feel it's not talking just about advancement. I think it's actually talking about companionship and wisdom. So let me read for you what it says there in verse 13 to 16. Better a poor but wise youth than an old and foolish king who no longer knows how to heed a warning. The youth may have come from prison to the kingship or he may have been born in poverty within his kingdom. I saw that all who lived and walked under the sun followed the youth, the king's successor. There was no end to all the people who were before them. But those who came later were not pleased with the successor. This too is meaningless at chasing after the wind. So as we look at this passage, uh, Solomon, who we presume wrote the book of Ecclesiastes, may be talking about his own experience or maybe even the experience of his father, King David, and, uh, you know, King Saul was a very stubborn old king who was no longer wise. And he's talking about how there's a young person that comes up who is wise. And the old king has lost his wisdom. And when this young king comes who is wise, he is exceedingly popular. So, two is better than one. Three is better than two. Here we have many, right? Because if you look on this passage, when the wise king comes... All the people followed him. In verse 16, there was no end to all the people who were before them. So in terms of companionship, this young person has the ultimate. Right? He's got lots of companions. But how does this story end? It ends badly because in verse 16b, those who came later were not pleased with the successor. And I think what it's saying is, at the end of the day, even companionship is fickle. It is limited, it's unpredictable and unreliable. Uh, that's why he says that it's meaningless, the chasing after the wind. Because, you know, you can want to have friends, you can want to have good friends. But the reality is, people will let you down. Your friends will let you down. It's like this huge anticlimax when it comes to this reflection on companionship. Because as much as we want to have companionship, and we are built for companionship, people will let you down. So again, I, I learned so much from my Bible study, because right, they always give me all these ideas for the sermon. So they said, you know, uh, next slide, that, uh, you know, there's this thing called BFS, right? So best friends forever. But now, we don't talk about BFF anymore. We have BFFN, right? So it's best friends for now. Okay? Because we're not best friends forever, right? Something might happen, but we're just best friends only for now. We may not be best friends anymore when something happens. Or if I find somebody else who's my new best friend for now, then you are no longer my best friend. And that's the way that uh, relationships are like, right? Sometimes, you know, our good friends slowly drift away, or our good friends suddenly change or we change and we're no longer good friends anymore. But I think that as we come again to the New Testament, uh, to the responsive reading that we read today, if you look at John chapter 15, right, uh, the answer to friendship and companionship is not found in this world, but found outside of this world. 
So in John chapter 15, uh, I, I, I cut it down. I, we're not reading the whole thing from verse 9. It says, I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends for everything I, I've learned from my father I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. So this is one of the pictures in the New Testament where God, through Jesus, calls us friends. We are friends of Jesus. We are made for a relationship, if you look in the Bible, because we are made in the image of God. God is eternally in relationship in Trinity. Father and Son and Holy Spirit are eternally in perfect relationship. And I believe that when you look back in Genesis, because we are made in the image of God, we too are made for relationship with one another. That's why we want to have friends, right? That's why we feel lonely. We don't like being lonely. The problem is, because of the fall and sinfulness in this world, we are unreliable, we're sinful, we're you know, we are evil. And therefore our friendships break down. But God says our answer for companionship and friendship is with God first. Right? When we love Jesus, then we will obey His commands to love each other. God's love for us, Jesus' love for us, is not fickle, it's not unpredictable, it is constant and permanent and eternal. So I always remember this quote by St. Augustine, right? which says, okay, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until it rests in you. See, until we find our relationship with God, until we find our relationship in Jesus, which is, un, which is un, not, not, un, not predictable, but it is firm right, and constant and eternal, we will always be restless. But now that we have a relationship with God through Jesus, then Jesus says that we must love one another as his disciples. And I think that's so important because actually in the New Testament, we as Christians are committed to have friendship and relationship and companionship with one another. We are the, the strand of three which give each other strength in our Christian walk. Right, so that's why a pastor once said that you should never say that I attend church or that I go to church. Because you're not going to a cinema, right? You're not going to a gym or attending a play. You should say, I belong to a church. Because we are committed to obey the command of Jesus, to love one another, and as we love one another, to help one another persevere in our faith. And therefore, we cannot be, uh, like for many people, the three A's of church, right? So for many people, uh, church is just about three things, right? The three A's. Attend, amen, then adios. Okay? Because we come together in relationship to, to love one another, and part of that love is to encourage one another in our faith. So in conclusion, um, I think that there are no... Uh, secrets, you know, no big secrets that come out of today's passage. It's, it's very simple and clear. As Christians, we find that it's better to have relationship 
But it is not just better in this world, but eternally better, because together we obey the commands of Jesus to love one another. So for my mother, uh, she was an avid tennis player. She used to play tennis like almost every every day. I, I think she didn't because you know she, she she would injure herself, right? She played till many many years. She went to Wimbledon to watch uh, tennis. You know she was a she was a fanatic in tennis. But then when she got cancer, uh, she couldn't play tennis anymore after her chemotherapy started. Her tennis friends, of which she had a lot, came to visit her maybe for about a few months. But after that, we never saw her tennis friends anymore. Because the thing is, after you lose your common interests, then what is there to talk about? Right? In a sense, it's kind of like this is awkward coming together, right? But her Christian friends, particularly uh, one of her best friends, kept coming to visit her until the day she died. And I think that's a, a, it's a huge difference to me when, when I saw with my own eyes the difference between the companionship of this world and the companionship that we have in Christ. Right? Because in Christ, we have a relationship with Jesus and God, which is eternal. And God and Jesus himself tells us to love one another. And that love is distinctive and different from this world because it transcends time and transcends interest. So I hope that as we look at today's passage, as we reflect on the nature of work and toil and companionship and friendship, uh, we really see that as Christians, what is really important is not to, to be to be working with two hands, striving for envy and jealousy, to achieve and to be better than other people, but to have one hand with tranquility and to keep our faith. And also to see that our need for companionship is found in Jesus Christ and we need to hold on with two hands uh, the command to love each other. Okay, so let's go to God in prayer. Dear Father, as we come before you today, We want to thank you for the words of Ecclesiastes which causes us to really reflect at a very deep level to see our lives uh, very honestly and to learn the hard lessons uh, of today's passage. That uh, having one hand with tranquility is better than striving for two with envy and toil and discontentment. That, dear Father, we will not fall into a trap and a temptation, a snare, and abandon our faith as we go striving uh, to seek to be better uh, than uh, other people around us, but to be satisfied and content with godliness, the things you've given us. We pray also for Uh, the idea of contentment in companionship and to know that we are built for relationship. But in this world, because of the fall, people will be fickle and companionship in itself cannot give us meaning. But help us to see that we find our rest in our relationship with you through Jesus Christ and that we need, as we have found this companionship, to keep loving uh, each other as disciples of Jesus. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast brought to you by Bethany Trinity Presbyterian Church. For more information, visit us online 
at thisetc.sg.